0: I would like to share just the line, which just came up for me. Um, And so to translate this, um, this is um, apostate first, am I true? Um, um, Which is uh, one of the um, lines from Ceylon. And so if you think of the situation where the church has persecuted Jewish people and... um, marginalized them and used Christian faith and Christian religion to justify that. Um, it creates a situation where people have to um, work through the, the, just the profound and deadly consequences um, that that has. Um, and so I've always felt with this line from Paul Celan, Abtrunik um, est um, benish choy, apostate, first am I true, um, that, that he expresses just the depth of the soul work that we need to do. Um, in order to rectify and make reparations um, for this um, uh, for the church's role in the Holocaust, and uh, and the church in Germany especially used theology really very aggressively. Um, you can read about it a lot um, uh, in order to justify those sorts of things. And I I pray and I hope that we can um, be in a world where. No one ever has to pray, um, or to think, or to say, only as an apostate can I be true. Um, And instead, that we can express the faith and the love and the unconditional love of Jesus in such a way um, that such poetry never has to be uh, uh, written again, but that it can always be remembered. So, I was
1: thinking along those lines is, the church fails to be the church whenever it fails to be like Christ. And uh, the thing is, it's really hard. Like, who here has a hard time learning a new complicated game? Like, Ryan, you've set up like Arkham Horror before, right? It, like, the game takes what? How many hours to even set up? And how long to learn how to play? Forever. Do you feel like you understand everything about playing? Like, so many games are so complex. And you have to do so many things. But you probably know a bunch of stories surrounding the mythology of that game and know the stories by heart. Stories are easy to remember. Procedure manuals, not only are they hard to remember, but if you read it wrong, you can destroy something. And a lot of people treat the Bible as procedure manual and not a story that culminates in Christ and where Christ is the brightest revelation. And I think uh, on Father's Day, I brought this in, this is a study before Rembrandt did his full painting on the prodigal son here. And I was thinking, this one story, uh, I don't like calling it the parable of the prodigal son or the rebellious kid because, gosh, that's the most boring story in the world. That happens to everyone almost. I mean, there's nothing uncommon about a, a kid really bringing drama to the rest of their family. But the idea of the dad becoming an absolute f- fool to the greatest extent, you could be a fool in their culture, running after their son. That is a picture of God's love. That's a picture of Christ's love. And when we marinate in the stories of Christ, and we, Old Testament, New Testament, every part of scripture we, we read through the lens of Christ, you won't get holocausts, you'll get hospitals. You won't get warfare, you'll get healthcare. You won't, you won't get swords, you'll get plowshares, right? You get what I'm saying here? So, uh, Juneteenth, wow, uh, this is, what, uh, 156 years ago, right? Uh, Galveston, Texas, you know, uh, everyone had fled New Orleans when uh, the Union troops took over, and they were there, and for two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, the uh, innumerable slaves were taken to Galveston, Texas, when the Confederates were fleeing, were still enslaved. And this is a perfect picture of the situation we're in right now. We believe our Emancipation Proclamation is when Christ's death and resurrection brought him out of new reality. Jesus wins. It's the biggest rock dropped into the ocean of reality, sending ripples that only get bigger. Ripples that only get bigger. And this idea that we've been emancipated, but many of us are still enslaved to something. Heck, many of us are still enslaved to perceptions that were formed because of a bad father experience when we were kids. Many of us um, have maybe uh, been formed into people who are ashamed because we don't think we're adequate parents or fathers or friends. But... The idea is Jesus has emancipated us from the expectation that our perfectness resides in our own behavior. And instead, the picture isn't you fall short, therefore you are dirt. It's you fall short, God makes up the difference. And the, the Jesus narrative is one where inst- we're not perfect in behavior. We're not saved I, you know I, i'm not perfect just forgiven no it's not this idea that our forgiveness totally is divorced from our behavior rather it's a story and the story is as we spend more time with a loving dad as we spend more time with god as a loving father we become more like dad and what we'll be reading in the future here in the sermon on the Mount stuff those realities become more abundant as we spend time with god it's not a question of whether you pass or fail. It's whether you're in the lane to an abundantly growing, abundant life. And so Juneteenth gives us a real world example of the victory was won here. The freedom was fully implemented here. And any of us that know what's going on in the nation right now, you realize Juneteenth hasn't fully happened. Juneteenth hasn't fully happened anymore. More than we live in our own individual lives hundred percent free from slavery to sin I'm not saying that to shame us. I'm saying God still has areas of our life where the troops are coming in to say you're free Party, let's go down to Reedy African Methodist Episcopal Church where they went uh, In Juneteenth and the doors were closed I think for since COVID because of different things going on they opened today they're actually celebrating at the first church to celebrate Juneteenth. That church has opened their doors for the first time today. And we get to celebrate that God is always emancipating. And so then the issues of fathers come up and talk about Father's Day. And we're talking about the four fathers and several mothers of Jesus in the genealogy. So, you know, there's so much begatting. There's a lot of Father's Day going on. In uh, the genealogy of Christ, which we 've been looking through that is kind of the spine of topics we 're talking about, and uh, we're today're we're, uh, you know I do what I do no- normally every Sunday morning, I get up, see if there 's been a mass shooting and figure out how to if we have, how to address that at church. I look and say, okay, at least there 's not anything going crazy there uh, at this moment, so then I just be perceived to have my coffee and pray and ask about the sunday and i was just thinking how the father's day is always the most complex thing to address in a way and of course it's a hallmark holiday all right but having said that i'll take every holiday i get uh but it does bring up pain and who here feels like a competent father who's a father anyone I'll tell you, I'm an empty nester now, so I'm wondering, did I miss my chance to figure out how to be this level of kindness in this situation? I'm like, is it just too late? And my, my son and daughter assure me no, that they're, they're more than happy to celebrate continued improvement in my life. Um, but going to Abraham, as Abraham was called to be a father when it was biologically impossible in his eyes. And on separate occasions, both he and his wife laughed at the prospect of having a kid. And Jake talked about quite a bit about Isaac and uh, just the crazy drama of that story. And one thing that's common in the story of Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, is it refers to him lying on many occasions. And then even it, it refers to his wife lying just to show that they were in an equal marriage, they both were really, they both, there wasn't one that was more skilled with deception than the other. They both were at that. And this idea that the hero of the faith is someone who fails like us. And one way is uh, people tend to, when I would grow up, we'd study Sunday school, we'd study like the life of Gideon, but we'd skip over the idea that at the end of his life, he'd turn the whole nation to worshiping idols because know well, that's a bad example. We would just kind of skip the epic fails of a lot of people. But one of the beauty, beautiful things about the Bible chronicling all the shortcomings and failures is because we're intended to juxtapose everything with Jesus. Everything with Jesus. So every bad example brings us to the question, how does Jesus answer that? How in Christ is God's true nature made known? How in Jesus... So every shortcoming is space. Every shortcoming is space. And every shortcoming we fail to receive from a parent is space that God wants to occupy. And it's, not, it's never gonna be a vacuum. Something's gonna occupy that parental wound. And Jesus wants to occupy that. I. One thing uh, I leave very open in when I'm preaching is I expect to always just look at the audience or crowd or congregation I always see different people. There's a little different mix every Sunday because you know post-covid when can you go in you... and you know I see several people right now who didn't receive from an earthly parent what they needed who God has used to give and demonstrate the father's love biologically, non-biologically, as a parent, as a friend, as just a human. I see so many people here who've been supernaturally equipped to be present with God the Father's father love who aren't even fathers. And it's just amazing. And I love this idea. In Christ, every one of these shortcomings that we have in our story can be rewritten. And it doesn't matter that... I my, I'm an empty nester now. My kids are out of the house. That doesn't mean God doesn't want me to receive more of his dad love and give more of that dad love to my, uh, my family and those people that I'm daddish with, right? It's good to be dad. So Abraham um, was a very fearful person. That's why he put his wife's uh, life and safety on the chopping block for his own safety. Um, It addresses specifically uh, Abraham's fear. And what I love about this is, we don't use the word fear as much, but we use social anxiety, right? Like, anxiety is a pretty, a word uh, we think uh, in terms of triggering, being triggered by certain situation. And being triggered and being anxious, both can be, fall under the idea of being fearful. And God doesn't say, uh, he, he says fear not, But he always says, fear not when he's present. God doesn't say, uh, you don't have to fear if I'm not with you. God always says, fear not, or his angels say, fear not when they are present. And meaning, when we practice the presence of God, we don't have to fear. But um, this is a, a real authentic, nakedly authentic part of Abram crying out to God in Genesis 15. After all these things, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward will be granted. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm sure that was probably the first thing God said to Abram every time he was praying because we know Abram was paralyzed by fear. And Abram said, God, master, what use are your gifts as long as I'm childless? And Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything. Abram continued, see, you've given me no children. And now I'm your house servant is going to get it all. Then God's message came. Don't worry, he won't be the heir. A son from your body will be your heir. And then he took him outside and said, look at the sky. Count the stars. Can you do it? Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family, Abram. And he believed, believed God, and God declared him righteous. Or I like how Eugene Peterson, God declared him set right with God. Righteous is just like one of those words, what does it mean? Another way is God declared him, we're cool now. That's a, so uh, Abram is definitely an emotional underdog at the very least. Uh, he's probably had years of whatever ancient Near Eastern fertility treatments, because it was considered you were accursed if you did not procreate that. Now um, But I want to talk specifically about another epic fail, because it also shows God the Father, and God be God our provider, God our protector. And it also encourages me that God loves our families more than we do.
0: And that's good news.
1: It's not to shame us, but to say in our personal shortcomings to love, God is always there to provide, whether we maliciously have a shortcoming or we just by being frail people have a shortcoming. God is always there to intervene. And no one is damned to repeat multi-generational sin when Christ is in the room. So, um. Abram
0: is afraid that God's plan isn't going to work,
1: so he uh, takes his uh, wife's servant, and this is, would not have been super uncommon in the ancient Near East, but it did really suck. This woman had no free will, no volition of her own. She became uh, 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 either another wife or concubine of Abraham and gave birth to Ishmael, um, who's uh, you know, the great granddad of all the Muslim people, so we had Ishmael was born and he said, you know, God's called me to this, but uh, he needs some help. And then uh, before Ishmael's born, Hagar's pregnant and uh, Abram had not made a connection with this unborn child. He hadn't dealt with the reality of things. He just saw my wife's really upset. I need to get rid of this woman. And he exiled father Abraham took this pregnant woman, nine months pregnant, about. She had to flee to the desert. And it's in this where I, I see one of my favorite names of God, number one. Number two, it is a passage that gives me hope as a father and me hope as a son. And it gave my, I, I think of this like, uh, well, I won't go there. And the an angel found Hagar beside a spring in the desert. It was a spring on the road to Shur. He said, Hagar, maid of Sarai, what are you doing here? She says, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. And the angel of God said, go back to your mistress. Put up with your abuse, he continued, because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you a big family and children past counting. For this pregnancy, you'll get a son. Name him Ishmael. For God heard you. God answered you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, and a real fighter, good at fighting and being fought. And he's always going to be stirring up trouble and odds with his family. Weird blessing. Huh? In the whole time she's hearing, he's going to give me a big family. There's my social security sorted. You know, that's my 401k right there. I got a kid now because that's all you had in the ancient Near East is you, you had kids or you had poverty. And, and it's in this moment we get uh, the first person to name God in the entirety of the scriptures. The first person to give God a name. She answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her, calling him, you're the God who sees me. The first person to name God in the holy scriptures was a woman who would be father to all, or mother to all the Palestinian peoples, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Who wasn't even like uh, part of God's covenant people yet? They didn't barely existed anyway. And it just shows God is always caring for the underdog, and when she says, "You are the God who sees me," you know, as a parent, there's nothing more precious than when your kid knows you see them. It's, it's some comfort, like when, when you're hurting, hurting and, like if you're in a situation, situation and your parent just sees and knows your pain, you feel better. You just feel better. And I remember one of my kids would say, like uh, one of my, both of my kids are super gregarious, and sometimes they're very gregarious when they're really upset inside because that's a good defense mode. A lot of us do that sometimes. And there's a couple, each of my, my kids has a tell that says, I'm wrecked. Even though I look really happy, I'm wrecked. And I would tell one of my children, I'd say, I see you, you're really sad right now. And they would just be, thank you, thank you, dad. Thank you, I'm glad you see me. And in Christ, we are shareholders in God seeing people. In Christ, as parents, as mothers or fathers, or children, that we're really ripped off in the parent category. God sees us. In Christ, God sees us all. And in Christ, our stories are not over. And what I love is in this passage, God says basically, God doesn't say, in lo. I shall convict Abram and take away his free will, and he will suddenly become a man of great virtue and care for you and your son Ishmael. There's nothing that says, God, you know, I generally don't pray prayers that involve people becoming automatons because I believe God is his core relational. God woos, he doesn't push. And we don't see God answering her prayers by In order to show that I'm with you, I'm going to take away this person's free will so you can freely choose to have a relationship with me. God says, I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. God's provision doesn't take away our relational pain. God's provision doesn't take away our our father's wound like that. God's provision is a relationship where He walks with us, where we can walk through the slow path of healing. Sometimes with just, uh, uh, sometimes with um, extra oomph added. But uh, that's what I wanted to say to fathers. My blessing to fathers is my blessing to me. Is the same blessing to those of you that haven't had children who have been fatherly. You know, one thing, its stereotypically, and I know this isn't how it mostly works, out, but stereoty- you think of a parent as a nurturer or provider. And both fathers and mothers both have opportunities to nurture and provide. And there are people here that were not nurtured with the nurture they needed, and they were not provided with what they needed, and you're still standing. You're still standing, which is something. And uh, it just kills me. I mean, that kills me a good way. I, I got It just blows me away, the presence of God I see on so much of you that haven't received that. And I want to just bless you. If we can stand, on a, uh, if we can stand the worship folks come up, and uh, we're going to uh, culminate this in communion. And this is, once again, God takes an ethnic-specific feast for a small group of people and says this is going to be a global party now. God's always putting this little prism That takes this laser light and then shines it somehow into a sun that radiates everything. Um, Oh, let me grab one of those. And uh, in the same way that uh, a second time that uh, Hagar and Ishmael were very vulnerable, God appeared to them and gave them water and food when Ishmael was going to die. And I want to think of this as being the spring of water and the food that God provided. These elements... uh, As a parent or as a child, as anyone who's called... Listen, one thing that's true for everyone here is we're all called to be fathers and mothers in the kingdom. We're all called to somehow carry the witness of God, of Jesus, and the power of the Spirit, which will address father voids in our lives. So let's see this as the fuel, because the love of God is fueled by the sacrifice of Christ, which... He empowers, he empowers us through with his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So, Father, I thank you for these elements. Uh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body. It's all for you. Same way after the cup, supper he took the cup, this is cup's new covenant, in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And I got it a little out of order, but we're going to sing a psalm of repentance. And I've struggled with this psalm before, I want to tell you, because it goes right to our sin without a big talk of God's grace at the beginning. But let me tell you, this psalm is not an isolated psalm. This is the cherry on the top of a service, and this whole service has been predicated on God. fulfilling what we can't fulfill, and it's all about grace, and the only reason we can pray a syllable of the song we're going to sing, I think that's the root for the things we've done and left undone, the only way we can pray that prayer from the old Anglican confession is because God's already forgiven us. Lord bless you.